Financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network show and its Hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard, it's just a love ride. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome back to the second hour of Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have Mish Shedlack with me again. Uh, before we begin our discussion with Mish, though, I do want to thank our sponsors uh, for making this show economically viable. For the second hour of today's uh, show, our sponsors are American Bonanza, Brazil Resources, Lucky Strike Resources, Helio Resources, Metanor Resources, Merrick's Gold, uh, Marathon Gold, Meadow Bay Gold, Paramount Gold and Silver, and Rye Patch. Miss um, Shedlack has been with us before. He is uh, he's very well known as a deflationist. Uh, I am not going to spend time reading his bio uh, right now. You can go to our website, uh, the radio website, and read Mish's bio, but uh, he has so much to say that I'm going to shut my pie hole now and, and welcome Mish to oh, Turning Hard Times into Good Times again. Jay, it's always a pleasure to be on the show, and for those who don't know, I also appear with Jay usually once or twice a year at the Chicago Natural Resources um, Expo, and we're often on the panel together. So, yeah, and um, that's always a lot of fun, and it's always um, uh, it, it's really fun because there's people there with different ideas. You and I uh, agree on a lot of things. We disagree on a lot of things, and this isn't about me today, Mish, so I'm going to let you talk. I'm going to shut up, and I'm going to let you give your opinions. But uh, let's let's start out by looking at some of the things that are going on now uh, in in Europe. Clearly, we we have a overall, I think, at least in the West, a deflationary or let's say a deleveraging uh, dynamic that's playing out. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Deleveraging is uh, happening at a faster pace right now. Well, they're trying to get it to happen at a faster pace in Europe. The banks in Europe are are resisting. The banks in Europe are more capital um, impaired than the banks in the United States. And, you know, rather than being tied to the housing market as it was in the United States, it's being tied to sovereign debt. The uh, European banks were allowed to keep sovereign debt of Greece, of Portugal, at Spain on the books as if it had... Um, no risk at all. There were no reserve requirements, no risk requirements. It was it was as if this stuff was 100% guaranteed. Well, these banks said, "Oh my gosh, you know, look at this. I can get uh, a Greek dot that's that's uh, yielding six to seven percent at no cost. I don't have to hold any reserves on it. It's you know doesn't go against my you know uh, uh, basal capital requirements." I don't have to have any capital for this. They loaded up their balance sheets with with 
literally toxic waste, and now it's it's come back, you know, to haunt them. They are extremely capital impaired, but they're fighting, uh, um, needing to recapital to sell shares. Interestingly. Uh, uh, Citigroup or Bank of America has recently said, you, you know, refused. The U.S. banks have said, no, we're not going to do it, but they've recently changed their mind. European banks aren't at that same point yet. They're arguably in worse shape. And uh, I don't see how Greece even hangs on here. Actually, the big story is Italy. But, um, you know, let's, let's first talk about Greece here. Uh, uh, there's a decent chance that that Greece defaults, exits the euro by by Christmas. Um, I posted this on my blog. M- Michael Pettis of China Financial Markets, well, uh, I think, just a brilliant analyst on on some of these things. He goes outside beyond China. Well, then just looking at who China's biggest trading partners are. Their biggest trading partner actually is Europe, not the United States. If we Mm-hmm. Europe in aggregate, mm-hmm. but uh, anyway, you know, he said historically we've seen, you know, right around Christmas time, Mexico in 1994, Argentina in 2001, both chose Christmas and the New Year's, you know, to announce their devaluations. And uh, I, you know, I offered my own comments on that, and I said, you know, once a bank run starts, that it's, you know, all over, you know, the. Uh, The rational thing to do from the point of perspective of anyone living in Greece that has money in a Greek bank, the rational thing for them to do is to go pull that money out and not just put it back in any other bank, but to actually just keep it under a mattress Mm -hmm. or, you know, perhaps move it to, you know, France or Germany or, you know, some other bank. And as yeah. soon as depositors start uh, acting ra- ra- rationally, I said that's going to be the end of the line. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, little did I know, I wrote that uh, uh, two days ago, all of a sudden Zero Hedge does a post today uh, t- talking about deposits in Greek banks, and they plunged by 5.5 billion euros, the biggest drop ever. Mm-hmm. So we are starting to see this sign of people pulling their cash out of banks. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the ECB had emergency financing of, of seven, I don't know about emergency, they use the word emergency, of $77.8 billion on, well, they did. Actually, temporary emergency liquidity assistance hit $26 billion, and um, uh, another financing of up to 78 billion euros. Going, you know, how long can the ECB continue this? Yeah, yeah. Well, Mish, I think you just made a good point. You know, I, I, I guess you're probably familiar with John Extra's inverted pyramid. And at the very bottom of that inver- inverted pyramid, the, the items at the bottom of that pyramid were the most liquid, the items that, you know, people go to when you have these deleveraging processes going on. And at the very bottom, he has gold. And right above that, he has Federal Reserve notes, not demand deposits, not TDs, you know, uh, but basically uh, paper money under your mattress or money under your mattress. Yes, yes. And you can see it. You can see it in the um, interest rate yield, uh, the spread between German, Germany, Italy, and Greece. Well, you know, Greece is off the scale. Their their one-year bonds are... 
interest rating something like at an interest rate of 250 percent. I know that's an approximate number. I, I, I didn't look at the number today. Yes. The you know meanwhile one year rates in Germany are um, well under a point. Actually, the two year rate is at point four. Right. So uh, the one year rate would be lower than that. Um, so a, a huge difference. But in well, Italy, let me, let me just stop you there for a minute. What is it looking like in Italy now, where which is getting all the all the attention? What are the spreads in Italy? Uh, the we hit on the ten year today six point seven seven percent, and uh, the. Uh, f- f- we also had an inversion where the three and the five year were yielding more than the ten year. That inversion, that is a huge, huge, uh, uh, sign here of sovereign, you know, credit stress. Why so? Explain, explain to our listeners why that's true. The, uh, well, I mean, just look at, look at Greece, uh, for example. In, in Greece, we have a, you know, 10 year that's, um, um, maybe in the 20 and 30 percent. And the reason is these investors are going to get something back over time for this extra, you know, for, for carrying these bonds. Uh-huh. But if we have a default, and you know it's immediate, and these uh, uh, yields are. Uh, we have an immediate haircut of sixty, seventy, you know, eighty percent. You know that money's gone. They're not going to make it back over extra yield over time. Right. So, so we we see this in extreme differences between what the yield is at the front end of the curve and what the yield is, you know, on the back end of the curve. Yeah. They're going to get something back either way. They're going to lose a massive amount of money. But right. but but one of them, you know, on a on a one year bond, the, the hit is immediate. And there's going to be no extra yield coming in over the years to make that up. So the, the, the yield skyrockets on the front end compared to the back end in these sovereign debt crises. And Italy's just barely inverted right now. So, uh, but, you know, this is a warning sign. Yet when you, when you look at, you know, say you compare the two year bond between Germany at uh, 0.4% mm-hmm. and uh, at uh, Italy, full six percentage points, actually 5.98 percentage points mm-hmm. higher mm-hmm. in Italy. I mean, that is a sign of a massive, massive problem. Italy is going to be unable to roll over its debt. It has, uh, you know, some close to, you know, $300 billion worth of debt that it has to roll over. Italy's debt is as big as Germany's on an economy third or fourth the size, something like that. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's it's just a, a massive liability. And the story from, you know, the um, German finance minister today, Schwabel, you know, c- came out and he said, oh, you know, this is really just a, a problem in um, trust. <laughs> My God, yeah. you know this is this is uh, far beyond a a a problem of trust. We've got sure. all the structural. Actually, the lack of trust is not the disease. The lack of truck, trust is a sign the bond market 
has finally recognized the disease. The disease is the structural uncompetitiveness of, of Italy, of Europe in general, coupled with a mountain of debt and no way to pay it back. Right, and, insolvency. Uh, yes, and all of these countries in Europe are fighting these badly needed forms, reforms. You know, Italy wants to make it easier to fire people. Right now, if you're, you know, you're working for a corporation in Italy and there's more than 15 employees, it's almost impossible to get rid of you. The same problem exists in Spain. So these companies don't even want to hire anybody because, my God, should, should the economy slow and they need to get rid of them, they can't. Mm-hmm. And, so, and, and they're fighting these reforms. They're fighting these reforms in Greece. And, you know, so they, you know, they're imposing all of these austerity measures. Now, we do need these reforms, and we need these austerity, you know, measures. Right. But, but the idea that, that uh, Europe is going to recover within two years if they do this is, is, is nonsense. Right. It's going to take a decade Right. For these structural reforms to play out. And in the meantime, they, the, uh, they have these unrealistic assessments of, you know, they're, they're going to do these reforms and it's going to bring down, you know, their debt to the levels they want to get at. First off, they're not getting the reforms. They're being fought in Italy. They're being fought in Greece. They're fought in Spain, fought in France. But even if they do get them, they're not going to bring the debts down in time. And we're seeing the, the, the crisis manifest itself not only in Italy, but in France. In, you know, France used to trade maybe... Uh, uh, Point one three, you know, points higher than than Germany. Mm-hmm. Now we're up to a point or point and a half on on, oh. on on some of these spreads. So not only is Italy creeping up, France is creeping up. France is at risk of losing its AAA rating. This whole mess in um, Europe is. You know, it may implode by Christmas. It may not. The, I mean, history suggests that it will. But, you know, the, the propensity for these European bureaucrats to kick the can down the road longer than you think they can um, is always out there. Well, Mish, I think it's important to step back a bit and try to ask the question, how did we get into this trouble? How did Europe get into this trouble? Uh, I got interested many, many years ago in gold because I had a professor, a history professor, that believed there was a correlation between the debasing of a currency and work ethic. And I think what I hear you saying has something to do with work ethic. The notion that you should get paid no matter what kind of a job you do, whether you show up on time or whether you do your job uh, diligently or not, I think this is, isn't this the crux of the problem that we want to have something for nothing, Mish? Doesn't, isn't this what, what is really underlying the, the pathology here? Absolutely. In fact, it's two things. You touched on one of them there, and I know you know what the other one is. You know, one of them is, you know, just, you know, printing money, and the other one is, uh, um, governments spending more money than they get tax revenue coming in. So you, you have, you have two situations here. One where the Fed, actually central banks in general, because it's happening in Europe, and it's happening most pronounced right now in China. We've got credit, uh, well, we've seen a recent pullback here, but until the last few months, credit had been expanding in China at the rate of of, of 30% a year. Uh, You know, that's not sustainable, especially since they're building cities that no one lives in. They're building... uh, Railroads that no one uses. They're building airports that, you know, that no one flies out of. And these, these, they're building shopping malls that are completely empty. The stores are there and they're stocked with goods. 
or some or not, but there's literally no customers. So you've got the world's largest mall is is essentially you know empty. Right. But, you know that's what you got when you get. Uh, this growth at all costs, and we're seeing it, and it is so disconcerting. We're seeing, you know, Romer, uh, Christina Romer, is that her name? You know, the, the used to be on um, uh, Obama's uh, panel of, of economic advisors, and right. this is who, you know, governments are taking advice from. Right. They're not taking it from Ron Paul. They're taking it from people who think that the way out of this is for the Fed to print money. Right, and it's never worked, and that's the message of gold. Actually, you know, the gold's you know back up almost eighteen hundred bucks an ounce here. I don't know whether it makes a new high soon, but if we keep on this path, it's going to make a new high. Absolutely. The, the you know that's you know the and and actually, if you look at the difference between gold and silver here. I think it's an interesting debate. Uh, admittedly, I, I got lucky because you know one never knows the timing of these things. But I did sell all of my silver, or not sell it. I want to make sure I say this correctly. I traded all of my silver for gold, you know, in my gold money account. They allow mm-hmm. you to do that. You don't have to mm-hmm. sell one to buy another one. Right. You can just you know trade one asset for another. And for tax purposes, that you know might be significant. I, I need to find out. Uh, officially, whether or not uh, I'm allowed, you know, to make that claim, but I did do that trade, and uh, silver at the time was 46 or 47, and gold was 1500, and um, you know now silver is 34, and gold is uh, knocking on 1800. Mm-hmm. So, but one doesn't know. But anyway, the reason why I did it is is the chart of the silver went parabolic, and also I'm just envisioning this, or have been for some time this uh, global recession, and I think we're going to hit one next year, uh, uh, and silver is an industrial commodity. Gold, to me, is money. Silver is an industrial commodity. If industrial commodities take a hit, I expected silver to go down with that, and I still do. It doesn't mean I don't like silver over the long haul. It just means I don't like it relative to gold right now. So, uh, uh, you know, that's how I'm viewing it. And uh, if silver dips back to the low to mid-20s, I will probably swap some gold back for silver, uh, uh, thinking it's a good time, a uh, good risk-reward scenario to add some silver back. So, you know, th- th- those are the things that, that people can do. But for the average person right now, I mean, look at these stock market gyrations, Jay. I mean, it's just the overnight swings are even bigger than the daily swings. Most, most people don't even see these things. I go to bed at night sometimes with the futures, you know, down 20 points. And when I get up, you know, they're up 10 and then they rise another 10. We're, we're talking about four and five point swings from, you know, the interday, internight low to the next day high, or vice versa. Sometimes it's up big, and then you wake up and it's down big. This is not a uh, healthy action at all. I think the bond market has the real story here, and if you just look at you know what's happening uh, with Italian bonds, with Portuguese bonds, I mean, talk about inversion. The... Uh, uh, Two year on Portugal is trading at something like twenty percent. The ten year is uh, something like twelve percent, hmm. and so that tells me that Portugal is the next country that's going to blow. They're mm-hmm. going to blow. They're going to blow big. Meanwhile, everyone's looking at uh, Greece, which is unsolvable. 
Mm-hmm. And Italy, which may or may not be solvable, I don't think it is, actually. Yeah. But Portugal's going to blow when everyone's watching something else. Yeah, and Portugal and Italy is, is really, really big. They're all big. And then, of course, you have this... Uh, they're all big because you have very little equity in the balance sheets of these banks. That's too. exactly correct. And that's that's the problem. So, Mish, you know, we, we're... Um, we're staring. I mean, how is this going to play out? Now, I agree with definitely with you on the uh, on the silver and gold ratio thing. But do you see? I mean, I look at there's a chart I use in my talks that show total debt, and I'm not just talking about government debt. I'm talking about private sector debt, all sectors of the U.S. economy to 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 GDP and uh and we've had a little bit of a curl over since Lehman Brothers a little bit of a decline relative to GDP but not much it's almost minuscule mm-hmm. um and and I'm looking at something like 350% of GDP and that's total debt not just government debt are you counting unfunded liabilities in that looking at everything and yeah, I don't think you should count unfunded liabilities well we're looking at total debt in the US and uh, and it's historical. And the previous historical highs was in the t- 1932, when the G- when the uh, GDP fell off the table, mm-hmm. and it was at uh, 262, something like that. Now we were at as high as 375. It's back to 350. The point is that the debt, total debt to income in the U.S. is also extremely high would you not agree oh absolutely and it can't be paid back i mean there's no way to pay it back and we're and, not talking and, you know, about Bernanke wants to inflate the problem with inflating it drives up you know look at what qe2 did it drove up the price of oil and commodities right especially oil it didn't create any jobs and it didn't uh cause it didn't do anything for wages right. we still live in a world of global wage arbitrage where jobs are going to go to the cheapest place. The cheapest place may be China, but actually China's losing manufacturing jobs right now to Vietnam, who's, who's willing to do it cheaper. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we've got this situation where wages cannot keep up. I mean, the Fed can inflate. And, you know, they, they want inflation. Well, good grief, they've got it. They got it by the, you know, in, in terms of not in terms of credit, which is very important, which is how I look at things, but in terms of money, money, money supply, which is how um, a lot of the Austrians would look at it. Sure. Uh, I, I think that's a valid outlook, but I also say you can't just ignore credit because it's that credit that can't be paid back. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, that's what's the drag on this economy. Yeah. Yeah. You, know, that, you know, people can't afford their mortgage anymore. Right. They can't yeah. afford to pay it back. Yeah. You know, they the, the, were increasing, we're creating jobs, but where are those jobs? Are you know, are they at Walmart, or are they uh, uh, another minimum wage job of some right. kind? Right. Well, well we've seen it, this. We've definitely seen this happening. Uh, you know, with high, uh, you know, high wage jobs, engineers and the like that have to go work, bankers, uh, finance people in the financial markets that are now. Doing minimum wage jobs, and it's uh, you know clearly uh, the U.S. has lived beyond its means. The West has lived beyond its means. I find it interesting, also though, Mish, that you talk about China because we have had on this show recently uh, an economist. 
from Hong Kong who was raised and uh, and educated in Europe and in um, in Scotland, and he's talked about uh, you know 64 million empty apartments in China. You have a command economy there. Of course, yeah. we're moving towards a command economy more yes, all the are. time too, are we not? Unfortunately. And, Unfortunately, and so you have these, you know, these malinvestments. You have these huge, you know, if if government wants to keep GDP growing by having programs, you know, you have the bridges to nowhere, the houses that are the the apartments that are built without anybody living in them because it wasn't a market decision. Uh, Where does this go, though? I mean, do you see? So China and the in Asia has been the growth engine since the U.S. consumer hit the wall. Where do you see this going? Do we see a global depression coming on, possibly? Yes, the 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 growth engine in China is going to stall. Most people are not aware about this. I've talked about this on my blog on several occasions, but it, but it's worth mentioning, you know, f- for those who aren't aware of it. There's a regime change every five years in China. The current regime change in China uh, regime in China is is focused on growth at any cost. The uh, that's why they're building all these, you know, roads and roads and bridges that people aren't using. They're building these cities where no one lives. The next regime change wants to, instead of doing that, um, go to a model that increases consumption. So that's going to be a huge shift away from all of this demand for commodities. You know, if they're not building all these roads, bridges, mm-hmm. houses, airports, mm-hmm. uh, um, nuclear reactors, smelting facilities, all of this kind of stuff, if that stalls, you know, what does that do for um, the demand for commodities? Well, of course, it sinks them. Now, what does that do to an economy like Australia or Canada? Right. In turn, what does that do to the currencies? of Australia and Canada. And, you know, then the thing is, well, okay, if China goes down this path, and I think they will, the the, um, Michael Pettis again has, has, I mean, no one has inside information, but he's probably closer to the sources, you know, than anyone else. And uh, he believes that the next regime, the likely leaders coming in, are going to be more focused on this shift. Well, it's 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 going to it, it you know whether it's sudden or not, it's it's going to happen. I think we see it reflected in the Chinese stock market right now. It's, it's the Shanghai market is has not participated in this global rally at all in this in this last month. I mean, it just sat there. And well, Mish, uh, we only have a couple of minutes left, so I, I need to ask you, there's something else I wanted to ask you about. Uh, you have written recently in your excellent blog, uh, you've written about uh, an article called The Perfect Storm, Yes. Uh, eight Reasons to be Bullish on the Dollar. Okay, so I don't know that we have time to mention all eight reasons, but could you give our listeners just a view quickly as to why you're bullish on the dollar, number one? And number two, what does that do for gold prices? What does it do for commodities in general? Um, commodities in general, I think, are going down. Actually, that's one of the reasons 
Um, actually, four of my reasons were mine. The EU debt crisis, uh, 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 well, this, these are from Steen. He talked about the uh, EU debt crisis, relative growth differences, but uh, the four reasons that I added were the breakup of the Eurozone, a China regime change, which we were talking about, yeah. that, that regime change is going to slow exports, the slowing of exports is going to help the U.S. dollar, falling commodity prices as a result of that, and the, and the weakening of of hard currencies. So all of those things were things that, that we were just talking about here. What does that do for gold? Well, I think gold is going to remain firm because central bankers worldwide are going to fight this slowdown. They're going to fight this slowdown by pushing on a string. They're going to try and inflate. They're going to, they're, they're going to print. They're going to, do, they're going to do various things. You know, where is that money going to go? Money always goes somewhere. You know, the money doesn't go where the central bankers want it to go. I mean, you know, Bernanke pumped that money, and he was hoping that it would, you know, create jobs. It didn't. Instead, it went into the, uh, the price of oil and the price of commodities. I think we're going to see a time where the, the, the one big beneficiary of, of all of this final printing that they're going to do is going to be gold. So um, I would tell people, buy physical gold, hold it, you know, gold money or, or your house, you know, have a certain percentage of your assets, you know, in gold, you know, you know whether you agree with my deflationary outlook or not, and it's based on credit, but, uh, uh, you know, gold is a hedge against all of these kinds of financial storms. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more, uh, Mish. And one of the things I've been telling my listeners and my subscribers also is don't pay so much attention to the nominal price of gold. Look at what an ounce of gold will buy. And I measure it versus the Rogers Raw Materials Fund. And, again, I talked about this almost every week on this show. Before Lehman Brothers in July of, uh, of 2008, an ounce of gold would have purchased only 17% of the Rogers Raw Materials Fund. It went to 44% by March of 2009, fell back to 30 But with the more recent problems in Europe, it's gone back up to 47%. And with that, we've seen the major mining companies having their profits skyrocketing, growing just dramatically. We talked about it earlier in the show from collectively seven of the larger gold gold mining companies from $5.77 collective earnings in 2008 to $20.22 this year with three-quarters of the year. Those are the estimates from the analysts that cover those seven companies. So I, uh, I, I agree. I think the best place to go, Mish, is gold, as you suggest. And, of course, it is a riskier proposition buying gold mining companies, but they are in a sweet spot as well right now, in my view. I don't know if, if you have any any thoughts on that? If I can get one last comment in here, yeah, sure. I, I, I think uh, miners are undervalued uh, compared to the price of gold, but as with anything, things that are undervalued can always be more undervalued. You don't want to be leveraging into gold right now. In fact, you don't want to be leveraging into anything, anything. right now. Sure. So, uh, um, um, but, you know, if, if you're able to stand the volatility, you can, you know, get some now, and, you know, rather than selling on a dip, you know, you have to have the mentality that you're willing to um, uh, buy on a dip. And the yeah. same thing holds true for gold. If you, if you have too much miners, if you have too much gold, if you can't sleep at night, well, then you have too much. Yeah. You know, they don't have more than you can sleep with. Don't have more that's going to make you want to do the wrong thing should price dips. That's because if this scenario in China plays out the way I think, 
there's a decent chance that equities across the board sell off, and that means, regardless of what gold does, the miners might follow. So right. the, 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 the safer thing to do is, is to, you know, if you're going to have a percentage of gold in miners, to, is to have more of that weighted towards the gold side rather than the miners' side. Yeah. But the safe thing in general is also to get the hell out of the stock market in general. Good, good advice. Mish, unfortunately, we're out of time. Tell our listeners where they can track your work, because you do excellent work and you post uh, a lot of stuff every day. The, I do about four posts a day. Um, global economic analysis.blogspot.com. That's a mouthful, but the easy way to find me is just do a Google search for Mish, M-I-S-H, take you straight to my blog. I write about gold, silver, interest rates, what's happening in Europe every day of the week. Thank you very much, Mish. Uh, sorry we don't have more time. We'll have you back again sometime soon. Folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back. We are going to talk to a an exploration company, Achocha Resources. Marcy uh, Keisman is going to be with us. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing her name right. I'll find out in a minute or two. We're coming right back. Don't go away. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Merex Gold, with over 800 square kilometers of contiguous permits in West Mali, Africa. Merex and exploration partner IM Gold have spent $17 million on the advanced stage Surabaya Gold Project in Mali. 40,000 meters of diamond and reverse circulation drilling currently underway to expand Merex's indicated resource and to determine the true size of the Surabaya Gold deposit. Exploration also continues on the huge gold anomaly at Zone Bambadinka, as well as the major gold system on the Babara and Kofia permits. American Bonanza Gold's Copperstone Project, located in Arizona, is on track for a fourth quarter 2011 mine and startup process with the goal of achieving full production by the end of the year 2011. American Bonanza is fully funded and permitted with no debit or hedge. The company has a clear strategy to create a highly profitable, mid-tier gold-producing company beginning in fourth quarter 2011. Join the current gold bull market. Be a part of a new gold producer in 2011. American Bonanza Gold Corp. Visit the website at American. AmericanBonanza.com for more exciting information. Don't miss this great opportunity. American Manganese Incorporated controls the largest deposit of manganese in the southwest United States, and their 43101 preliminary economic evaluation includes the potential to be the lowest cost producer of electrolytic manganese in the world. A National Instrument 43101 report of 14.9 billion pounds of indicated and 3.5 billion pounds inferred. Go to www.americanmanganeseinc.com. Rypatch Gold Corp. is an exploration company seeking to build a sizable inventory of gold and silver resource assets in mining-friendly Nevada, the world's fourth richest gold region. This well-funded company now has 1.2 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the measured and indicated category, plus 2.7 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the inferred category, with ongoing drilling to achieve a goal of 10 million ounces of gold. For more info on RPM, please visit our website at www. 
Meadow Bay Gold is a gold exploration, pre-production, and development company focused on developing its flagship project, the Atlanta Gold Mine in Nevada. Meadow Bay Gold has recently announced a significant gold porphyry discovery at the Atlanta Mine and is currently conducting a significant drill program. Meadow Bay Gold trades under the symbol MAYGF on the OTCQX or MAY on the TSX Venture Exchange. To learn more about Meadow Bay Gold, go to www.meadowbaygold.com. Gold in Nevada, the right stuff in the right place. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. It's just a love ride. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am uh, your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me Marcy Kiesman, not Kiesman, Kiesman. I was corrected on the pronunciation of her last name. She's the president and CEO and she's also a director of Atocha Resources. This is a company that trades on the Toronto Exchange under the symbol ATT. 45 million shares, 45.1 million shares outstanding. A share price of only four cents. It gives it a market cap of under two million dollars. Welcome, Marcy, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Good afternoon, Jay. Really good to have you with me. I, uh, you know, I'm always intrigued by companies. Uh, that are trading at these low prices, you know, it's sort of perverse. People want to run away from, you know, when it comes to buying anything else, people look for bargains. When it comes to buying stocks, people start to chase them. When they rise, they think, oh, goodness, the stock is rising. There must be something I'm missing out. There must be something really great about this company. I better buy it now. And without even looking at the fundamentals, well, I like to look at companies like yours. I cast my eye over the press releases and realize that you have some some pretty interesting properties. And you can't say that that uh, that you're a sure thing, that you're going to make huge amounts of money, but uh, you are an early exploration company, uh, pretty much grassroots to a great extent, although not entirely. Uh, you are located, you're operating in, uh, in Ontario, uh, which you have the Atkinson property, which might be perhaps your flagship property. I don't know if it is or not. But then you also have something that looks pretty interesting based on historical work in British Columbia. But let's start out on the east side of this continent. What about Ontario? What do you have going in Ontario? Um, well, in Ontario, we have our Atkinson um, property, which is um, located about 150 kilometers northeast of Cochrane. And it's um, near the Quebec border, but of course on the Ontario side. Um, and it's also probably about 15 kilometers south of the past-producing Detour Lake mine site. Uh-huh. So um, it's in a definitely good area. 
Um, and it's had, um, it's probably the most advanced out of all the projects that we have in Atocha. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been, it's had drilling and whatnot done as far back as 1996 and even before. And in 1996, there was some, some good mineralization that was found there. I think they had, um, it was about 10.7 grams per ton gold over, um, nine meters, mm-hmm. um, which is one of the reasons why we, um, optioned the property. Um, it's about 3,000 hectares, that, um, so it's quite a chunk of land that's covered off there. And it's in a good area, and um, the geology looks good. And we raised some money, um, gosh, I guess it would be back in 2000, late 2009. Mm-hmm. And in the spring of 2010, we did um, a small drill program, and we um, drilled about 1,200 meters over seven holes. And... Um, we had three zones that we focused on, there, which were the contact zone, the M1 zone, and then we also discovered a new zone, which was below the contact zone, which is mm-hmm. about 90 meters deeper. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, it was um, geologically speaking, um, our geologists were very pleased with the results. Um, a lot of low-grade gold that we ended up recovering. There was a few blips that had the high 10.6 grams per ton over a half a meter kind of thing, but mm-hmm. overall it was more the 0.9 grams per ton kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But um, the geologists were excited because of the... Um, it was, especially in the M1 zone, the geology was resembling the... Um, extensively the hanging wall from detour. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's a property that is our most advanced property that we have and, um, yeah, one that we would definitely like to continue to do further work on. Right. Well, it's, uh, it sounds very interesting. What, um, what is your program now, and do you have money in the till to, to finance it, or are you going to have to raise some more money? Well, what we've done this last bit is we've... Um, We've actually focused a little bit more on the Quebec side of the border Mm -hmm. in the same area in the um, Abitibi. And we had optioned in August um, 2010, we purchased a property that was about 1,500 hectares. um, That was about 15 kilometers southwest of the Eagle Hills Windfall Lake Project, um, which is an area that's still known for the gold and copper production, and it's also got excellent infrastructure for the exploration and mining and whatnot, similar to that on the Ontario side with the Atkinson. Um, so we purchased that property, and we have um, done some work on that, and we've also purchased um, additional properties in Quebec, which are the Découverte and the Bijou, uh, which are all um, primarily gold-focused. And then we've also, in the last um, year, we have um, acquired the Sol Riche, which is about five kilometers northeast of Geomega, mm-hmm. um, which is more focused on rare earth. Mm-hmm. And we have ourselves purchased um, two more properties, the Trezor North and Trezor South, which are about 2,000 hectares. And they're all the carbonatite-hosted properties. So we have quite... A lot of properties that are in the Abitibi Greenstone Belt, um, like we have the Atkinson, which is the more developed property on the Ontario side, and then we've got six properties on the Quebec side of the border, which are three of them are gold and three of them are rare earth, but they are more um, grassroots in nature, but definitely in excellent 
area for, and we have neighbors that are great, such as Metanor and um, Bonterra, Bowfield, Eagle Hill. So we're in good company in the areas that where we are over there. Well, you you, cer- you certainly are, and you're. Uh, we were talking to Ingrid Hibbard of Palangio, and they, of course, were involved with the Detour Lake property. So you say you're about 15 kilometers from there. You mm-hmm. you are uh, in in some good addresses, though. You are very early, and I guess my main concern would be at this stage is, uh, although you only have 45 million shares outstanding, how can you raise capital with these share prices to, you know, to to expand and drill and uh, and get things moving? Yes. Well, that's always the the fun part of being in junior exploration. <laughs> um, we have so far we've got um, we've done quite a bit of work on our um, Trove property, which is in Quebec, uh-huh. and um, we've also done some work on the Decouvert property. We raised about um, six hundred thousand last um, December to do exploration on the Quebec side of mm-hmm. our properties, and we're still okay, and we're not uh, in any urgent state to raise any capital i always like to be having at least you know 12 to 18 months cash on hand for for all intents and purposes Mm -hmm. so we're not in any stage that we actually need to raise any more capital in order to do the work once we get to the stage where we are ready to uh, get the drills in the ground and we are hoping beyond hope that we'll find something good then we may end up obviously needing to raise more capital depending on how uh, how many meters we want to drill, but at the at the current stage, we're okay for a little bit. So you have enough money in the till to keep things going, but mm-hmm. not necessarily drill aggressively as as you might if you had if you had more money. That's right. Yeah. Well, it certainly is a very interesting story. We, well, well, let's just take a minute or two before we say goodbye, for goodness sakes, to find out <laughs> you are also in British Columbia. Talk a little bit about that, because when I looked at some of the the numbers, there were some very impressive numbers in the past, and I think even some underground underground work that was done there. Is that right? Um, yeah, we have our McGilvery property, which is a property that um, we actually, the Atocha, before it even became a public property, we a, a public company, we purchased this um, McGilvery, um, and it is located about 30, 35 kilometers um, southeast of Lillooet, it's between Lillooet and Lytton here in British Columbia, and that's where our offices are maintained is in Vancouver here. Mm-hmm. Um, um, the properties, there's uh, 4,600 hectares of ground. Um, it was staked in 2005, and Atocha acquired the property in um, 2006 and went um, public in 2007, or sorry, 2008. Nine with the property. Mm-hmm. Um, it's had um, no drilling on it, which is actually quite amazing because um, it's had quite a bit of work done over the years. It was originally staked back, I think it was in the 1940s, mm-hmm. um, and it's had uh, extensive um, groundwork done on it, but it is quite a large property. Um, but it's all epithermal precious metals. Um, um, we went and did a small program again last fall there, and we found three new zones. So it's definitely one that we haven't focused on to date. But every time we go up and do work on the property, it's always more and more promising, which is um, definitely a good thing and one one thing that uh, we can always work on, even in the spring and fall months where it's... Um, 
we are not able to work on any of the properties, that's a property that we can work on really probably a good eight months out of the year, which is yeah. a nice option. Well, that's to... certainly very important uh, when it comes to junior junior companies because it is the the news that comes out that, that is the lifeblood of your uh, of your existence, really. So uh, it, it sounds really interesting, and I would just say to our listeners that you've got a four cent stock, forty five million shares, two million dollar market cap, and you know some people go to Las Vegas, some people go to uh, wherever they go to gamble, what I'm saying is I would rather take um, four cents. I would rather buy some shares in a company like this that has a management that has some, obviously, some uh, early stage but properties of merit, real merit, that could turn that four cents into 40 cents or four dollars even. You never know. I mean, these things, this is what makes this such an interesting business, really. It's a, it's, it's a high-risk, high-return business in a bull market like we're in now. Marcy, I think this is very interesting. I, uh, I'm certainly going to take a look at it for my letter uh, as well, uh, just simply because I think it's you know it's one of those things you put a few bucks into and, and who knows. Mm-hmm. We also have one other property that I just would like to mention to you, Jay. Okay, is, sure. Um, it's just a couple kilometers away from the border of the underworld uh, white gold deposit oh, up yes. in the Yukon, uh-huh. and it's yeah, it's near Dawson City, and it's about it's a small property. It's about 300 hectares, but. Um, We've we've done a little bit of work on that too, and we're uh, we've had a little bit of um, uh, success in it so far. So it's another uh-huh. one that we uh, may be continuing to do some further work on here this spring. Okay, very good. Well, I wish we had more time. We are out of time, so uh, I'm going to have to uh, to say goodbye for now. But I hope we can talk again. And I'm gonna I'm gonna put you on my watch list. That's for sure. To take a uh, to keep take. You know, try to keep up to date with what you're, what you're doing there, Marcy. Uh, unless your stock price gets way out, way out ahead of me sometime, and mm-hmm. I suppose you hope it does. But uh, anyway, sure do. thanks, thanks so much for for being with us, folks. Don't go away. I'm going to be right back with a couple of minutes uh, to close off today's show with Roger Wiegand. Don't go away. I'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Merrick's Gold, with over 800 square kilometers of contiguous permits in West Mali, Africa. Merrick's and exploration partner IM Gold have spent $17 million on the advanced stage Surabaya Gold Project in Mali. 40,000 meters of diamond and reverse circulation drilling currently underway to expand Merrick's indicated resource and to determine the true size of the Surabaya Gold deposit. Exploration also continues on the huge gold anomaly at Zone Bambadinka, as well as the major gold system on the Babara and Kofia permits. American Manganese Incorporated controls the largest deposit of manganese in the southwest United States, and their 43101 preliminary economic evaluation includes the potential to be the lowest cost producer of electrolytic manganese in the world. A National Instrument 43101 report of 14.9 billion pounds of indicated and 3.5 billion pounds inferred. Go to www.americanmanganeseinc.com. 
American Bonanza Gold's Copperstone Project located in Arizona is on track for a fourth quarter 2011 mine and startup process with the goal of achieving full production by the end of the year 2011. American Bonanza is fully funded and permitted with no debit or hedge. The company has a clear strategy to create a highly profitable mid-tier gold producing company beginning in fourth quarter 2011. Join the current gold bull market. Be a part of a new gold producer in 2011. American Bonanza Gold Corp. Visit the website at American bonanza.com for more exciting information don't miss this great opportunity Africa is known for its world-class gold deposits. Both Namibia and Tanzania are mining-friendly countries, and Helio has been exploring for gold here for the last six years. Backed by an experienced board and committed institutional shareholders, Helio is drilling its SMP gold project in Tanzania to demonstrate the potential for a multi-million ounce resource. Helio is also in the process of outlining the resource potential at its DGP project in Namibia, which is situated next to Anglo Gold Ashanti's Navatschap Gold Mine. For updates, check out helioresource.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Training Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. We've got just a couple of minutes. I've got Roger Wiegand with me, my uh, one of two partners. Uh, and Roger's expertise is in the uh, technical analysis, uh, in looking at charts and trying to figure out reading the tea leaves, so to speak. Roger, what do you see for, uh, the, for the equity markets? The, uh, I see the, the U.S. markets finished a lot higher today. Where are they going from here over the next few weeks? Well, I think that the equity markets, Jay, are going to continue to go up. Um, New York obviously wants to finish on a high note, and they want to get their bonuses. So this is typically the time they do it. Uh, Europe was down beyond, on some European news. It was negative. It later turned positive, and then the U.S. came up. Uh, Berlusconi in Italy says he's going, to, he's going to resign, but that remains to be seen. In the gold and silver markets today, uh, gold uh, did touch a high today of 1804.5. Uh, we did post a uh, forecast at 1807 resistance, so we got pretty close. It came back a little, but not very much. We're at 1788 on the December gold futures right now, only down two tenths of one percent. Trading range $26. The, op- the open interest 260,000 thing that really pleased me, Jay, is that silver finally got out of that place where it was stuck between 32 and $34. Uh, we, we hit a high today of $35.35. Last price, we're at uh, 34.98 and a half, call it 35 even. So I think that silver now can push on up to 38.85 over the next week or two. We've got Thanksgiving coming. We've got Christmas coming. 
that'll take some time out. But generally, the junior, uh, intermediate, and senior precious metal stocks as a group are on the move and on breakouts right now. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing uh, some pretty good numbers on the futures as well. Uh, I bought some more silver this morning. Uh, we're heavily long in gold and silver all the way to June next year. Okay. And the commodity currencies are doing well, too. Well, well, it certainly is an exciting time. There's lots of volatility in the markets, as we were uh, talking about with Ms. Shedlack. And, of course, volatility is what you as a trader, I'm sure, like to see from time to time. So uh, it, really is, uh, it really is an interesting market, an interesting time. Folks, that's really about all the time we've got for this week. I uh, want to let you know that next week's guest will be Adrian Day. I'm going to be doing the show from uh, Zurich, Switzerland, I believe. We'll be talking to Adrian uh, and probably some people in uh, Switzerland as well, very possibly. Uh, in closing, I want to thank our staff at Voice America, starting with my senior executive producer, Tacey Trump, and Justin Jackman, my engineer, for making this show logistically possible. Thanks to our sponsors for making it economically viable. And thanks, of course, most of all, to each of you for listening, making this the number one show on the Voice America business channel. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now the thing about time is that time is in real.